Hello, friends. Thank you for tuning into this week's episode of the Main Idea Podcast, where today I have the pleasure of sitting down with Amanda Bruce. A quick reminder for those of you that are fans of this show, please consider leaving a five-star review on Apple or Spotify. And if you like the video content, subscribing to the YouTube channel. This helps the show get discovered organically and will continually to help me to bring on amazing guests. For your convenience, there's now timestamps in the show notes, so you can feel free to jump around to the part that interests you most, although I always recommend listening to the episode in its entirety. Amanda Bruce is a jiu-jitsu black belt under Atos co-founder Andre Galvao. She studies psychology at UCSD, runs her own business, Kimono Boutique, and will be competing in the ADCC trials later this year. I hope that you enjoy this episode as much as I did. Without further ado, Amanda Bruce. Just this one time. <laughs> yeah. All right, Amanda. <laughs> Third attempt here. I appreciate you so much bearing with me. The technical errors are completely out of my wheelhouse. So uh, I appreciate you taking the time again to be back no on problem. the show and, and talk about everything. So thank you. Of course, of course. Happy to be here for a second slash third time. And just so you know, downstairs I have a board and brew sandwich, a completely untouched, ready to go. So the fact that I am here and not there, I hope that means a lot to you because it does. It does. Because I saw you train Diego. too. Yeah. So I'm sure you're it's, hungry. I, this is a fasted post-training oh, no. uh, recording. So no, we'll see actually, how it goes. you should be clear-headed then, right? Isn't that what fasting's supposed to do? So ironic that you said that. We were downstairs and I was like, I really want to eat this sandwich, but if you, if I don't know if this is like just me, if it's placebo or whatever, but I swear when I eat like a whack of carbs after training, mm -hmm. it does make me just, I'm like, either I want to oh, take a nap hundred percent. Yep. Right? Yep. Okay. It's cool. nap time. So we're on the same page there, but, yes, um, not just you. <laughs> yeah. I, uh, I, I we'll start with the same, the, the question that we've ran through two separate times <laughs> and gotten two separate answers because I think it's a good one. Uh, and it's a great place to start. So who, who was Amanda before Amanda found jujitsu? Yeah. Okay. For the third time. <laughs> um, no, before I found jujitsu, um, I, I started training when I was like uh, 16 years old. And before that I was definitely riddled with a lot of different problems. Um, I had a hard time at that age. So from ages like 12 to 16, I just had a multitude of things going on. I had a ton of anxiety, uh, depression. I had a lot of social anxiety. I was struggling with an eating disorder. So before jujitsu, I was a very isolated, shy person, um, definitely struggling with a lot of different things. And jujitsu was the biggest turning point in my entire life. So definitely made a huge impact on my life. Do you think it was really jujitsu? I think it was, I mean, it was not like it was just the training aspect. It was everything that comes with the training. I mean, I got access immediately to an entire community of people who were really, really supportive of me and treated me like family. Um, so I hadn't really had that before. Even when I was in school, I wasn't the kind of kid to make friends really easily. So I was in an environment where like everyone was just really positive and there was no bullying. There was no like weirdness going on. So I think it was everything that jujitsu brought as well as the mental changes that you get once you start training. So was that like you're on the mats and you just feel the shift come over you or, or what was that experience like going from dealing with these very acute things like depression, 
eating disorder. These are things that are like, they, they plague the daily experience, mm -hmm. right? And then you're all of a sudden in this environment. What about that was the sauce that started to shift that tide? Yeah, I think it's hard to like think of a single thing, but I think one of the main things that jujitsu tends to give you is the ability to be in the present. And obviously when you're suffering from anxiety, depression, and eating disorder, whatever it may be, um, you're living a lot of the time in your head. You're not thinking about your environment. You're not thinking about anything except for all of those negative thoughts. So you're stuck in just a negative thought loop all day. Um, and so jujitsu immediately gave me a relief from those thoughts because I had to be extremely present. I had to be, I was learning, I was trying like interacting with people. Um, so I was just like, for the first time I had like an hour, an hour and a half where I wasn't thinking about what I was dealing with. I wasn't just thinking all those negative thoughts. So that, that was the first thing that allowed me to even explore anything else. I just needed like those, those thoughts to stop for an hour or two, you know? And were you, were you trying traditional like therapy approaches or anything like that at the same yeah. time? So I had been from ages like, I would say 13, 14, I was in therapy for an eating disorder. I was in like an actual outpatient program where you go like, like four times a week and you're there for like five hours. Um, I wow. had been through a lot of treatment, um, but I ended up moving and I didn't have access to that treatment that I was having previously. Um, so I had been in like a lull where I didn't have a therapist mm -hmm. and I was kind of just on my own trying to kind of use the tools that I learned uh, from the therapy, but I wasn't like in therapy at the time. So basically jujitsu became my therapy because I had the tools that I, I knew I needed to use. Like I knew what I needed to do, but I was just so isolated and like yeah. sad that I just didn't have the motivation to really work on myself. I kind of just sat with those negative thoughts. So Jiu-Jitsu was like that kick in the butt that I needed to like have people behind me, have people supporting me. And then I was able to work on myself a lot from there. With struggling with like an eating disorder, what does that feel like on a day to day? Like what, what is, is it you feel like image based things? And so it's, it's food, uh, you know, that food impacts image. And so it makes you want to do that. What's kind of that daily spiral? Yeah, eating disorders are really intense and I think there's a lot of stigma around them and there's a lot of judgment that comes with them. Um, but when you're in a, a deep eating disorder, it is like, it is hell. It is really, yeah. really terrible. I mean, I, at my lowest point, it's basically like, I don't know if you've ever heard of the Minnesota starvation experiment. This is a pretty famous psychology experiment. Yeah, so they Let's basically, go. <laughs> they basically <laughs> I have not. put a bunch of... Um, like soldiers into starvation. So they had, it was like in the, I, I want to say forties, but that could be wrong. They put them in like this camp that was in a football field and they put them through like starvation. They were still eating, but it was definitely starvation level. They were losing massive amounts of weight. And even people who didn't have like the mental eating disorder, everything they thought about was food. They started getting more aggression. Some of them even had like borderline schizophrenic episodes and like, all they could think about was food. They just obsessed about food all day. It's all they could think about, obviously, because your body's in starvation mode. And that's what it feels like when you're in an eating disorder. Like even if there's obviously different eating disorders, I had um, started with basically like anorexia. So you're thinking about food, but you're not allowing yourself to have food, but it's still all you can think about. So, so it's all wild. about like 
how can I, how can I basically eat the littlest amount I can so that I can keep losing weight? But like, obviously you still have to eat because you're a human. So it's just like right. this constant battle of like, what am I going to eat? How much am I going to eat? Should I, am I eating too much? Do I need to go work out? And then with eating disorders, a lot of the time comes body dysmorphia. So right. I had no idea what I looked like. I was very underweight, but in the mirror, I thought I was like very overweight. So right. it's a constant struggle with your own mind. Um, so it's really, really difficult. Hello, friends. Please let me take a minute to share my experience about why I love my sponsor, AG1. I started taking AG1 because I believe that health starts on the cellular level and believe that gut health is as important as brain health. Between surfing, strength training, jiu-jitsu, striking, and running through businesses, I need every leg up I can manage. That's why I drink AG1 every morning before starting my day, and it makes me feel confident that no matter what happens, I've done a solid for myself and my well-being. As you may know, I'm a creature of habit. And adding AG1 to my daily regimen is an easy-to-do, tasteful hack that gives me assurance that I'm building my health 365 days a year. So if you want to take ownership over your health, it starts with AG1. Try AG1 and get a free one-year supply of vitamin D and five free AG1 travel packs with your first purchase. Go to drinkag1.com A-B-E. That's drinkag1.com slash A-B-E. Check it out and take advantage of the offer. It's, it's really interesting. Like, so as, like I was saying, as a career, I'm a trainer. My fiance was a trainer as well. That's mm -hmm. where we met. And we talk about food all the time, right? It's a big part mm -hmm. of our life. It's a big part of our life because of training. And my entire life has always been um, kind of eat to perform, like, I'm in the training hall. I know that that's causing stress on my body. I need to eat to repair my body so that I can go and perform. It's that mm -hmm. relationship has always been in my head. And it's just like this constant ping pong of like, did I exercise enough to constitute me eating this food mm -hmm. or not? And my whole life, I've never thought much about it, right? It's just kind of been this in and out, like, uh, you know what high calorie foods are and what low calorie foods are, you know, that more exercise exerts more calories and less exercise, whatever. And, I was talking to her about it and she's like, you, you don't understand what it's like to think about food all the time. Mm -hmm. And I was like, yeah, but that's like, that's normal. Like we're all hungry. And she's like, no, no, no. It's, it's different when it consumes your mm -hmm. every single day. Like I think about food from a training perspective, but she's like, sometimes that's the only thought is like, when will I get my next meal? Mm -hmm. That meal's done. When will I get my next meal? And then there's this like scarcity element to it of I, like, I need to eat because I don't know when I'm going to eat again. And mm -hmm. it just, it opened my eyes up to the complexity of this disease that I other, otherwise thought was just like bulimia, mm -hmm. right? I just thought like uh, eating disorder, anorexia and bulimia, that's it. And there's no mm -hmm. other scale or scope to this. And then when I was training a lot, you see, especially in the fitness industry, how complex it really gets because you have yeah. NPC competitors, you have bodybuilders, you have power lifters, you have uh, runners, like all this stuff. And everyone's kind of doing that thing where they're eating to their sport. But I see no greater eating disorder than an NPC competitor. I mean, that's insane. dude. Don't even get me started. I, yeah, I don't know if that's like a controversial opinion, but just being someone who had 
struggled has struggled with eating disorders my whole life that is a free ticket to have an eating disorder but be able to say that it's for something else in my opinion i'm sure there are people who have a healthy relationship with food um i just think that it's as a woman like there it's not conducive to having a sustainable healthy relationship with food and you see the rebound effects after shows like you lose complete control over being in tune with your body like having like it's just crazy it's so extreme it's super extreme and like you said the rebound i but i think part of the challenge here is the rebound is it's like satire almost you'll see that they're like oh there's so much joking around like uh puffing up or like like getting mm-hmm. getting fat again right like after your show then they they go back and they eat a ton of food and now they're at this like to them probably unhealthy weight to the rest of the world probably more healthy but mm-hmm. that that streamlining like counting every single gram down to this day where you you get on stage it's anorexic people with a lot of muscle mass like it just looks really again you're right i think that there's some cases where people are doing this in a in a healthy way and they do have their head wrapped around it but for my exposure it's a feel like the on the inside of the fitness industry and the outside of the fitness industry the mindset is equal yeah i think also just personally coming from that background when you're competing in a sport that's purely based on aesthetics i find that 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 tends to lead to damaging thoughts and damaging relationship with your body i mean if the only way you're viewing your body is for its aesthetic purpose i think that that's just going to lead to problems like that's what jujitsu did for me it was like hey your body is being used for something you're an athlete you have to mm-hmm. eat to fuel yourself it doesn't matter it's not about how you look it's about how you're performing and i right. think that is a lot easier to um work on developing a healthy relationship with yourself versus like i need to get on stage to compete against these other people and so i can have the exact perfect body in this area and this lat needs to be even with this lat right. and i need to be this lean and you know what i mean it's just yeah. like oh, that gives me anxiety just thinking about that what are your thoughts then given that like what are your thoughts on weight cutting and that whole part of as as jujitsu becomes more competitive bigger sport more promotions get involved it it becomes more competitive at every stage so it's competitive on the mats of course in the the level of jujitsu you see but now it's competitive on strategy and part of strategy is weight cutting so if you can cut down to weigh in and then you can bulk up another 10 pounds overnight that is an extremely unhealthy thing for your body to go through, but it's super advantageous in a competitive setting, provided that that additional weight doesn't cost you your gas tank or something like that. So what are your feelings about that? I, th- I think you have an interesting perspective on this because you, kn- you know and can be honest about having been through having an eating disorder and participating in a sport where that's a big part of the deal. Yeah, I think that's actually probably one of the most difficult parts for me as I became a competitor. Obviously, that wasn't my goal at first, Um, but it's tricky because I have to walk the line of, hey, am I going to cut weight for this and kind of take that risk of falling back into those thoughts and having to combat those thoughts more? Um, So am I going to choose to do that so that I can be more advantageous in this in this sport or should I just honor my body and just walk in at whatever I'm going to walk in at? In my opinion, I think that I like the weight cuts where it's the same day. I think minimizing massive weight cuts is beneficial to people, whether it's making it more even or just keeping it healthier for your body. Um, 
So I like I like ADCC where you have to weigh in the same day. Um, yeah. I think that anytime you're trying to do massive, especially water cuts, I think it's just playing with fire. I totally. think it's better to just fuel yourself properly and train properly um, and, and walk around as close to your natural weight as possible. Um, and then with women, there's a whole nother aspect where our hormones are very affected by massive weight totally. cuts. Um, and it can be really damaging in a lot of different ways. So I yeah. think that I understand the need for weight cuts to a certain point, but I think there's a very fine line when it comes to especially women cutting for sport. I also just think that in general, like for for these sports, there's obviously a big argument in mixed martial arts about it, about what the right thing to do is. But I think athletically, it I think it's better for the sport as a fan and a viewer when you get to watch two people that are, are kind of competitive at a baseline, like when mm -hmm. you watch two fighters walk in and you watch the weigh-in the day before and you're like, oh my God, that yeah. guy put on 24 pounds. Right. Now I'm watching the whole fight kind of going, yeah, but, you know, or on the exactly. other side of that, then, then you get missed weight a lot more frequently than you would otherwise, and which is a huge disrespect to your competitor, whether it's in jujitsu, it's in Muay Thai, it's in striking MMA, whatever. When the one fighter comes up and they weigh more, it's like, you know that it's not because they're not tough or they don't care. They tried, but weight mm -hmm. cutting is horrendous. horrendous and it gets yeah. to a point where like now you're talking about your actual, like your vitality, like, like are you yeah, going to exactly. die? Right. And having that incentive on the board, I agree. I think it's totally like a, it's just a crapshoot. And those same day weigh-ins are such a good solution to that because you can pull the levers a little bit, but mm -hmm. at the end of the day, you're going to compete that day. And, and, and unless you're a complete goon, you don't want to zap your body of all its energy by trying to shed a, a couple extra pounds. So you're going to probably walk in closer to the weight that you walk around at. Yeah. I agree. I think as a spectator, what I want to see is two healthy, like well hydrated, like they, someone mm -hmm. who didn't just lose 30 pounds. Um, you want to see people who are going to have a very back and forth match who are at their best. So when you see someone who comes in with such a big discrepancy, it's kind of like, yeah, okay, they're smart. They played the rules. They kind of totally did what they could, but like, yep. is it going to make for a more exciting match or is it going to make for kind of more of a one sided match? Have you ever gone against a competitor where you felt like there was on either side of it you to them or them to you where there was a big discrepancy in weight and it played out in the match itself yeah absolutely i've definitely done matches where um i've had plenty of day before weigh-ins where i walk in and i'm like okay well they definitely cut <laughs> a lot more than me because <laughs> i'm always yeah. on the side of, of really trying to not cut too much weight um yeah and sometimes I walk in, I'm like, yeah, okay. So they definitely cut about 10, 15 pounds for that. Um, and what is that, it, it does have an effect. What does it feel like in the, in the match itself? Like when you, obviously there's a psychological component to that because you visually see them before and you're like, oh shit, mm -hmm. they're heavy. Uh, but when you're actually in the match itself, what do you notice changes in your skill set in the way that they roll? Like how does weight actually play out at your level of competition? Yeah, I mean, strength definitely helps. Like, I'm not going to lie. Obviously, if you're just bigger, stronger, it's going to make it more difficult. Um, I like going against bigger girls anyway. I'm always the first one to sign up for the absolute division, the first one to, like, go up in weight. Um, I enjoy that. I think it's a fun challenge. And I also, you know, I always tell myself, like, hey, I didn't cut all that weight. I'm walking in 
feeling great. I know my gas yeah. tank's going to be great. So I think, you know, it's tricky to deal with someone stronger, but that's kind of like, that's kind of all the time. You could be with someone who's totally. your way, they're way stronger than you anyway. Um, but I have noticed that like deeper into matches, especially at a higher level, like the gas tank starts to play a role. Say you're in like a 10, 15 minute match. If you didn't cut weight, your, your chances of having your gas tank full are going to be a lot higher. So it's almost a benefit sometimes in my opinion. I think at, at your level, the – like when – for the hobbyists, when you start doing jiu-jitsu, right, people are like, don't use your strength, use your skill, which mm -hmm. I think is a, a super valuable tool, especially if you mm -hmm. come in athletic because you will miss out on opportunities to get technical advancement because you're strong and you can just oh, for sure. bully people, right? So yeah. in the beginning, super valuable piece of advice. At your level, you want to be – strong because you know you're both technical so if you're stronger and more dynamic and athletic and you can do things where you your proprioception and your athletic ability play into the movement now we're talking about a big advantage over an equally skilled opponent so when you guys are when you're at atos and you're getting ready for a big competition like a wno or something like that how do you adjust for those kind of things like how do you utilize your athleticism? How do you challenge your athleticism? How do you utilize your strength? Because I would imagine you guys probably train harder in training than you, if you can tell me about your toughest match. I would imagine that the training leading up to that match, win or lose, was way harder than the match itself. Yeah, honestly, I literally do not know a match that I've been in where I felt like it was harder than training which is something that I take for granted all the time. And actually a lot of people at Autos talk about this. Once you've been training there for a while and you go train somewhere else, you're like, oh damn, we train really hard. Like yeah. we go hard, <laughs> especially, so like we have normal classes and those classes are, you know, there's a lot of non-competitors mixed in. It's not like right. we're killing each other every class. But when you're getting ready for a match and you're in camp at Autos and you're going to comp class, like comp class is a war. That's the that's the training where you're going to use all your strength. You're going to not give up any positions. You're going to go for submissions, like not trying to break your partner, but like you're going to go for things hard. Like yeah. we are not trying to lose any points. We're not trying to lose any positions. And you have to have that type of really difficult training because otherwise, once you get to the actual tournament, you're going to be like, oh, shit, like this is actually really, really difficult. Like they're yeah. going really hard. And Autos and Galvao, he's always talks about this, like, you have to prepare for that. And if you don't, you're going to feel that pressure and you're going to feel that aggression and it might scare you. But if that's how you train, like, frequently, you're ready for that. So right. we we definitely go hard at comp class. Um, and honestly, I am also training with a lot of bigger girls. Mm -hmm. So I'm not really like, oh, I shouldn't use my strength. Like, I'm training with, like, Rafaela Gadez, yeah. Gabby McComb, like, all these girls who are brutes. So I'm yeah. going for it. <laughs> When you're training with people that are, are bigger and stronger than you like that, how do you, like, what intention do you bring in your training to get value out of it, knowing that you're going to get smashed? Mm -hmm. be, because part, part of it, I would imagine, is you want to, as you get closer to a competition anything, you want your confidence to build up to that day. Because if you go into any competitive setting and you, you're unsure, especially one that's physical in nature like this, you're already at a disadvantage. So each day that you get close to you, you need some element that's going, fuck yeah, right? I'm doing the right thing. I'm, I'm figuring mm -hmm. this out. I'm sharpening my tools. I'm going to go for it. 
But when you go in there and you train with people that are, are bigger and stronger every single time, what do you do? What, what positions do you work to focus on those areas where you know you're getting better despite getting beat up all the time? Mm -hmm. Yeah, so I think there is definitely a balance. Um, I try to also train outside of comp class. Obviously, I think if you're only going and you're the, like you're the nail all the time, I think you're going to start to get beat down a little bit. Yeah. I think, um, I don't remember who it was, but he was like, you know, majority of your training should be with people who you can technically beat and you can kind of practice things on. Hmm. Now, even though my training maybe isn't that, I definitely still have a balance. Like I'm going to go to other classes. I'm going to train outside of comp class. I'm going to do positional training with other people more my size. I'm going to try to roll with some of the kids or some of the teenagers and people right. who are more my size. And every single round isn't that. But having that as a tool is actually really helpful because I'm able to be like, okay, yeah, I'm not as strong, so what can I do? What can I use that's actually gonna be advantageous to me? Okay, I'm faster, I'm smaller, so I'm faster. So right. I'm gonna figure out how can I use my speed passing to get around someone who's just really strong? How am I going to use being smaller to get out of bad positions? Because maybe it's easier for me to get my frames in. Um, right. And then the other thing is like, it's really helpful even with wrestling because it takes away a lot of the fear once you're at a tournament, right? Because say you're in an absolute division, you want to take this girl down, you don't want to be on bottom, but she's giant. If you're tentative, if you're scared, if you're like worried to shoot on her because she's big, you're you're probably going to hurt your neck or you're probably going to get sprawled on or something like that. So I use my speed, use my timing and just go for it. And just like that actually helps me build the mental strength to like do that in a tournament. How much of your training is mental training? Like with Andre and just your whole ethos over at Atos, what, what are you guys talking about and thinking about for the psychological component of competition yeah i think they galvao focuses a lot on mindset which i used to be a little resistant to it i used to be like yeah yeah like like it was woo -woo, like you're like come yeah, on i'm here to I'm train like, i don't want like yoga class at the end of every right i'm like i'm gonna i just need to be better like what are you talking about but especially once you get at the higher level um and recently i've been dealing with this the performance you can have when you're when your brain is in check versus the performance you can have when it's not in check is the difference between everything. Like everyone is really good at the high level, but not everyone is mentally tough and mentally there, like where they need so to be. So true. It's so true. And you see it, you see people break in matches all the time. You see people who you're just like, wow, that person is just confident. Everything they're doing is just, they're going for it. They are, they are confident in their game. They're like, you know what I mean? So yeah. Every time we go in, Galvao has something to say to us. Galvao has a speech or he has something to like use his experiences to help us. Um, and he's all about how to build your mindset and how to have the correct mindset for competition and how you need to train in order to train that exact mindset. So it's really like a lot of the training is also mental. He's like, hey, he said this today. He's like, when I shark tank you, I'm not trying to break you. You know, I'm not trying to make you hate training or make you right. suffer. But I need you to learn how to stay calm and work under pressure because mm -hmm. if you can't do that in training, how do you expect to do that when I'm yelling at you in the middle of a match at Worlds? Like right. you're not gonna even have that in your arsenal. I think that's such an important part of, it's definitely an important part of sport in general, but I don't think that all sports beat you down the way this does in mm -hmm. the moment of competition. You could be 
uh, on a soccer pitch and be really tired and you got to push to the 90th minute. And that's a, that's a different thing in and of itself. But the fear element totally changes your physiological and psychological response. So if you're in a, any kind of situation, if you're in a situation, you start to get scared. If you're surfing and the swell changes size while you're out there and things are bigger than you expected, it adjusts your skill of surfing pretty quickly. Even though mm -hmm. you're a good paddler, you can swim pretty far. Your cardio is fine. Now there's this other element that you didn't anticipate. And so it changes things. And when you're training, you can train all day, but then you get out of your element, you get really tired and people mm -hmm. are beating you down. It's different. And it's such a useful, I, I think it spills well beyond the mats having that ability to be composed, especially oh, out yeah. in public. I mean, you know, road rage situations, for example, yeah. like, j just Seriously. that ability to like stay Modulate calm emotions in it, a tense situation. Yeah. You actually, you could probably speak to this from like an app. <laughs> I'm going to put you on the academic uh, pedestal <laughs> yeah. real quick. What is happening psychologically to our like decision-making process? It, and this is in or out of sport, but when the element of fear presents itself. Mm-hmm. Well, there's also, um, it's a lot to do with your arousal level, right? So there's, there's a certain level of arousal that you can hit where you're thinking clearly, but if you go beyond that, you stop being able to make conscious, correct decisions. So if you're able to modulate how aroused you're getting, as in like how hyped up or angry or anything like yeah. that, any of those really intense emotions, if you're able to modulate that into the range that's still conducive to making quick, smart decisions, mm -hmm. um, being able to think while you're under pressure, um, that's going to be beneficial to you. But that takes you being able to, you know, breathe correctly and get your brain into that state, you know, so there's a lot that goes into it that takes conscious awareness to be able to change that. So if you don't have that control over that, you're going to be just like, going crazy, you're going to be like all hyped up, you're going to get an adrenaline dump, you're, you're going right. to react out of anger, you're going to do something that is not you thinking clearly. So you have to be able to change that. And that is something that you learn through training that, like you said, can transfer over into a multitude of other areas of your life. Are you doing things like meditation on your own time, breath work, things like that, that are more like, I don't know, I don't want to call them fringe, because I think that they're like super important to day to day mm -hmm. life. But some people are resistant to that. I was super resistant to a lot of this stuff for a long time in my life. I really, really wish that I had introduced like meditation and breath work to when I was competing and skiing, I think it would have done wonders. But do mm -hmm. you incorporate that kind of stuff into your, your own time? Is that stuff that you guys do in the academy? Yeah, absolutely. I definitely am a big advocate in meditation, breath work. Um, I think the main thing that meditation and breath work and all of these things allow you to do is it allows you to stay present. And I think that's like, that's the key. And that's the goal to um, any kind of performance, really, whether it's academic, it's emotional, mm -hmm. it's sports, whatever it is, is if you're able to stay present, then you're able to actually make correct decisions. So for me, meditation and breath work, especially coming from someone who's dealt with anxiety, mm -hmm. has been probably the biggest factor in me learning to modulate and regulate emotions um, on and off the mat. So I think I get why a lot of people are really like, oh, it's like whatever, it's like hippie, yeah, yeah. it's woo-woo. But it's, I mean, completely scientifically backed up. You can look at Wim Hof breathing. You can look at all, you know, I love people like Joe Dispenza. Um, mm -hmm. The power of your mind is all there and it's all scientifically backed up. So 
definitely incorporate. I, I that. always think that the the big thing for me was when the application to sport was shown. Not mm -hmm. that I think of every single thing you in terms like, of sport, <laughs> right? But but you do you are like learning how to. The best way that I ever heard it described was like if you're the argument for meditation is kind of like if you're looking down on a highway from a bridge and you see all these cars rushing by and they're just like every single time you see something, this different car, different car, different car. And you can like get stuck focusing on one and following it, but it never mm -hmm. stops. It's just this constant thing of, of thoughts. And that's like your mind. Essentially, the cars represent thoughts that are just like ping, 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 nonstop mm -hmm. all day long, never quit, whether you're training or you're doing other stuff. And learning to see the distance there and that you have a little bit more autonomy over which car you look at and mm -hmm. letting cars go too, not getting stuck tracking them the whole time right because thoughts can take over our whole like outlook when i was explained that way i was like oh maybe, maybe there's something in here for me because i could just spiral i could get stuck on a on a thing mm -hmm. or, or like something could keep me down and i would just get sucked into it and learning that it was just like I am not attached to whatever that is was really big. Yeah. And that's when I really started to read and, and think about it from like a sports psychology standpoint. There are no top performers who are really actually competitive at the highest level who don't work on their mindset. It doesn't oh, yeah. exist. Look at any sport. They are paying someone to help them see more clearly and think more clearly. And I would, I think that meditation, whatever form people choose to do it in, how, how do you meditate? Yeah, um, different types of ways. I like the traditional kind of clear your mind, sit with, and just kind of let everything be still kind of meditation. Mm -hmm. I also do a lot of visualization type of meditation where instead of just thinking of nothing, I'm thinking of a scenario, something positive, mm -hmm. something that I want to happen. Um, and that for me is a form of meditation as well. Um, and then breath work alone is a form of meditation. Yeah. So I think when people hear meditation and they think just, I need to sit still, close my eyes and not think of anything. That's why people are so resistant to it. But there's tons of different types of things that are very tied to meditation and different ways that you can do it that maybe work for you a lot better. What was the, the inflection point where you decided to give that a shot? Um, I, I don't know why I was so resistant to it. Um, because I'm such a highly anxious person, mm -hmm. I was just like, well, I'm not just going to sit there and not think of anything. And that's just stupid. That's not going to fix my problems. Yeah. Um, but once I started competing at a higher level, I was like, okay, so maybe I need to work on this because I don't want to feel this adrenaline dump every time I go to compete that I'm battling with for like two weeks before the competition. Like right. I want to be able to like, put this in check and put it to the side and go about my life. So I really started getting into it, like maybe committing to it like a year ago, but it got to the point pretty quickly where I was able to be like, okay, that's enough of that thought. I'm going to shut that off right now. And then mm -hmm. I could actually shut off versus my entire life, which was, okay, that, sh that thought shut off. Now what next anxious thought is coming? What other right. negative thing, what other thing that's leading me down further into the spiral? Jujitsu is, it is, it's interesting hearing you talk about all these different facets of it, but how it brought you into this like present state. Cause I, I talk about this a lot that I think that, uh, anything that is ex somewhat extreme in nature, like, uh, 
being out in nature is a good example if you're in like a hostile environment so like if you're skiing backcountry or if you're mm -hmm. climbing solo or you're on like a long hike anything where the stakes are elevated just by the nature of what you're doing jiu-jitsu another good example even though you trust your teammates and stuff there is an element of unknown yeah. right you could you could get your arm snapped you get your elbow yeah. hyper extended we've all had a a black eye a split lip a puffed ear right all this stuff happens and because of that you don't have the luxury to not pay attention by default exactly exactly so you could be uh fucking all over the place anxious crazy whatever person and when you get in there good luck maintaining that because you're just going to be yeah. on your back getting your shit passed and someone's knees on your sternum and now you're getting choked out so you learn very quickly that like wow okay it's advantageous to check that shit at the door no matter how my day is going mm -hmm. yeah that's actually funny because that's what drew me to jiu-jitsu like i was powerlifting before that was my sport i was like a powerlifter i was competing mm -hmm. But like you can go into the gym and go through a whole powerlifting workout and think about your problems the entire time because there's Literally. only about 30 seconds for each set where you like have to focus kind of and the rest of the time you can be in your head but the second you start rolling there is no possible way you can be thinking about anything else unless you want to get smashed the entire time and most of us don't so right. it's no matter how bad a day i've had like i've been to training on some really bad days. But the second I start actually training, I'm like, there we go, it's gone. There I am, present. Do you feel like, uh, so a lot of times, bad feelings, so depression or, or, or being in like a dip, just naturally, like all, all our hormones mm -hmm. regulate, right? So you could be the happiest person in the world. You're gonna have days where, you don't, where you're like, the sun's not shining for you. Yeah. Um, but I feel like a lot of, a lot of things fitness has never been like this for me but um there are things you don't want to do because you're you're down and and there is this weird thing you probably know that the term for it where like there's like comfort in perpetual unhappiness to some degree yes. where you can be yes. down and you're like i don't you know it's like the kid who's pouty and you're like i'll give you a cookie and they're like i don't want a cookie and yes they do want a cookie but they're just they're like no i'm gonna be sad right now and when you're like that, there's things you don't want to do for sure. I've always felt like martial arts, it's like the thing I definitely want to do. Mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah, I agree. It's funny because with that being said, like people are addicted to negative emotions. It's a very well-known mm -hmm. psychological phenomenon. Like we tend to cling on to those negative emotions and almost become addicted to them to the point where over time that can be what leads to depression in my mind is, is just a repetition of negative emotions that you're holding on to. Um, but when I'm feeling like that, I don't want to do anything that's good for me. Or at least in the past, I was kind of mm -hmm. self-sabotaging. I'd be like, no, I don't want to go for a walk. I don't want to journal. I don't want to do this. But I've always wanted to go train. Like no matter right. what, I always want to get in the gym because I just know that it's going to make me feel better. And there's like a collective... Now, now I'm getting like super out there, but no, I'm here for it. There is definitely like a collective energy when you're in the academy training. Mm -hmm. That's like, yeah, I'm dealing with it too. You know, it's unsaid and, mm -hmm. but you can just see like, not everyone is having a bad day and that's why they train jujitsu. That's not what I'm saying at all. Right. But when you're there and you're all training super hard, there's this group like positive, uh, outcome from everyone being there where you're like damn like 
I'm feeling shitty and I shut up and, and they're having a tough day, yeah. but they're here too. Okay, cool. Like everyone checked it and they came in anyway to, to support each other because you all know that if you don't show up, nobody gets better. Like you all yeah. need each other to be there to train. Cause you don't, you don't train with a barbell. You could go to a gym that's completely empty and you can become a better power lifter. Mm -hmm. You cannot go to an empty Academy and become better at jujitsu. doesn't work. Yeah. I think that's one of the most important things about jujitsu is that you are forced to rely on others. Um, and you know that they're there for support. So like the first gym I ever went to, it was almost, almost all hobbyists. And after the first couple of times, you know, I'm analytical. So I'm analyzing people. I'm like, Hey, what, what's this guy doing? What's he look? Oh, he looks kind of like he's going through something. And as I was there, you know, everyone's opening up after class. Oh yeah. I'm struggling with this, blah, blah, blah. And it's literally like this big safe place where like, whether you're going there for sport or not, like you're going there to release certain emotions. Um, and you're going there to do that in a group of other people who are also doing that. So like, there's this weird unspoken, like you said, support yeah. system there where we all know, like everyone's going through something, but we're all showing up there every time. And there's this element to it that is more of like a evolutionary thing. I think that's the contact part of it. Mm -hmm. Like we yeah. as humans just, we benefit from physical contact. That's a it nurture so part. Weird I know, I know. Like it, fighting each other, but totally. I know what you're saying. And and it it does sound like when you. This is another one of those things. Like if you tried to describe jujitsu to people, they're like, yeah. "What?" And then if you show it to them, they're like, "Okay." And they're like, yeah, they're like, "This doesn't weird. make any more sense." Right? You're like, "No, no," but it's. <laughs> but it's fun though. Like, no, like, yeah, you'll yeah. really like it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but but there is this. I think the physical contact part of it again. It's something that separates it from football well that's not true because football's contact but uh, kind of though <laughs> you know like like weightlifting or trail running or some other things that are endorsing or endorphin producing mm -hmm. positive things that are that increase your longevity they're good for you um but f the physical touch part of it even though that's not the goal it's not that you're going in there and touch a bunch of people yeah yeah but that saying. element of it i i think that there is like a developmental psychology part of that to where as children the like if you again if you have good parents the first thing that happens is you're held it's like that right. you come out of the womb and you're held and then right. you're held and swaddled and held and swaddled for like years and then as you you get older you separate from that and you go out in the world and there's something about that too that i i think there's got to be some positive psychology spillover benefit of that also that maybe that's not even why people go it, I would imagine a lot of people don't go for that, Yeah, but, but you are benefiting from it, whether you know it or not. Yeah, I think that's actually very true because what I'm thinking about, like when I first started getting into jujitsu, I was like super isolated. Like I probably wasn't getting hugs from too many people. Like I was just alone all the time, kind of by my own kind of choice. Yeah. Um, but even yeah, that contact really did something for me. It was like being connected with people, like actually connected. And then, you know, the shaking the hands after class, hugs, yeah. like even even the violence part of it, like just having physical connection is something that innately as people like we need. I mean, you see it in babies. Yeah. If babies do not get that, it leads to an immense amount of psychological disorders and problems yeah. that they don't even necessarily ever recover from. So obviously being a human, like, physical connection is important. I know it's a, it's a strange part of it to think about 
that, especially because of the violence component, like you right. said. I mean, because of the you're not, part where we're all trying to break each other's arms and stuff. Right. Like, you're not just, it's not hugs. Like, yeah, there's, right. it's like, hey, good, good training, good training, good training. And that part's great, too. But it is the threat of the uncertain and the fact that someone, and you know this more when you're first starting because you mm -hmm. just get trounced like just when you start it doesn't matter how big you are it doesn't matter how big you are we you yeah. know we have big military dudes from camp pendleton that come in and train with us and like on paper they're fucking scary mm -hmm. and when you're brand new you're brand new you don't yeah. understand the skill of the technique and so you get smashed and yeah we've all gone through and go through it i go through that every single day i train right yeah. it's not like you yeah. go through that and it stops but yeah. that happening over and over it's this constant like uh humility that you have to embody yeah. that I'm not as I'm not as big as I think I am I'm not as strong as I am I'm not as fast as I am and no matter what at any moment there's always someone better unless mm -hmm. you're the best in the world right there's right. A, just and we were talking about this last time but when someone has an like an ego in there yeah that's gonna get checked really quickly real fast. I think that's really important <laughs> for like a lot of different I'm, I'm not saying men but I'm just saying a lot of men could benefit from having that kind of awareness and losing a little bit of that egocentric kind of personality. Like, hey, there's a girl over there who's probably going to tap you out like five times in your round. You know what I mean? I think I side with you on this and I side with you from experience. Like when I, I was that exact thing. It was like I mm -hmm. came from an Olympic weightlifting background, a snatch and clean and jerk well in excess of my body weight. I was by measurable metrics strong and i embodied that it was mm -hmm. everything about who i was and i went in and i got absolutely throttled <laughs> by someone yeah. half my size and I, I i left really confused like i i was i had been a fan of, of martial arts and the ufc and jiu-jitsu for so long i just like never put it on my priority list and i walked out of there just like what the fuck just happened yeah and it is my favorite thing to watch in real time. It's my favorite thing to watch in real time. It's my favorite thing to do. <laughs> or, <laughs> <It's> like, <yeah. laughs> that's like <laughs> one of my yeah. favorite hobbies is like when new guys come in or something and you can tell that they just have an ego. And mm. I'm like, especially Nogi, because they don't know anything. They don't know if I'm a black belt or anything. And I'm just like, hi, like how are like 125 <laughs> pounds, like blah, blah, blah. And then I just go hard. Yeah. <laughs> But it's funny because people have different reactions. Like there are some people who are like, okay, that's cool. I want to learn more about this. And that's really interesting. And there are some people who are like, oh, like screw this. I don't want to do this. So I feel I like it does kind of force you to come to that decision where you're like, hey, am I going to let my ego win or am I going to learn to drop it and kind of see what this is about? Well, it, it gives you the opportunity. It right, says, yeah. hey, here's your ego. What do you think about that? And I agree. Right. I think there's... I mean, any of us that do this after day one, right, we've answered that in a very specific way, like with curiosity. And then mm -hmm. the hundreds of probably in your case, thousands of people that you see come <laughs> through the doors and quit, they, for whatever reason, weren't built for it. And I hope they find it somewhere else. I mm -hmm. hope they go to, uh, you know, a boxing class and they just get a liver shot at the first time yeah. and dropped and right. go, oh, my yeah. God. But it's not, it definitely isn't for everyone, which is so unfortunate because of your experience. Like this yeah. case study is exactly why I'm such a fan of it. 
Which is so many people's experience too. I mean, yeah. I've talked to so many people who like you you wouldn't even recognize them before they started training or like especially with like addiction or something like that. Like I've t- I've seen so many people who this has just been completely life-changing. So I feel like kind of a fanatic when I'm trying to be like, "Hey, come train, like blah blah, blah. you'll love it." But like I really mean it out of the kindness of my heart cuz I think it's going to help everyone. Yeah. It's definitely like the <laughs> I mean the parallels to religion are hilarious because mm-hmm. like I'm personally not a religious person, but then I catch myself just like sp- spitting the gospel. Oh yeah, exactly. Like all... I'm proselytizing you just yeah. literally constantly. Like I feel like not to hate on vegans, but like, I'm just saying like, I feel like I'm like, no, 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 you have to try this diet. Like I swear to God, you'll feel completely different afterwards. Like, dude, I was, uh, so when I, met my fiance she had been a vegan for seven years like hard dude like hard hard vegan and i was like fuck it i'll do i'll I'll be a vegan and so Mm -hmm. overnight like i went to bed and i was competing olympic weightlifting a part of me was curious like can i maintain this output while not eating meat so i went to bed i woke up and i was like dude i'm reading the back of like every single thing if it has milk powder in it i'm not eating it if it has anything that was plant, like not plant-based, I wouldn't eat yeah, it. Yeah, you went and full vegan no, immediately. No, full, like 200%. And I did oh that for, uh, I think it was 10 months until I, I walked out of the gym one day and I walked by, there's this place in LA called Sugarfish. That's like an okay. awesome yeah, sushi spot. Okay, I've heard of it. And again. I walked by it and then I did like the back step and, I, like... and I just, I was like, <laughs> and I ate all Dude, this fish. That's funny, I was vegetarian for five years and I was vegan yeah. for like six months. But I, I was vegan, and I remember one day I tried to leave the house, and my dad, who's like, we're from, my grandma's from Germany, and we're like dairy farmers and like whatever. He's like, you're not leaving this house till you drink this glass of milk. Like, I'm done. Like, this is, <laughs> you're not doing this anymore. <laughs> were, you, but, were you powerlifting as a vegetarian? I did, yeah. So actually, I was vegetarian from like 12 to like about 16. Um, I started doing some strongman stuff, and... Nice. <laughs> yeah, it was like really Atlas stones, like and Atlas balls, kegs, yeah, everything, yeah. And I don't know, I, like I wasn't eating the healthiest anyway as a vegetarian because you can eat like trash as a vegetarian. Like it doesn't mean anything. Like no. all you're doing is not eating meat. So right, not like I was eating that healthy. But I was just like, hmm, I wonder if I start eating meat if my deadlift's gonna go up. <laughs> I know those and thoughts trickle in. Guess what? It did. So, I I mean, it goes without saying, you can do it. And there's, there are high level professional, there's of course. professional athletes in the, at the peak level of every sport that are vegan. So yeah, for it can sure. be done. You can. It just takes a lot of effort, correct effort. Right. And yeah. I was like 16, I would, I just didn't know how to eat properly. It was exactly. easier for me to get the nutrients I needed, um, eating meat. Um, but I do remember the first time I ate fish, I cried for like an hour. Like you were sad for the like fish? Like I was or... so sad. <laughs> <laughs> My dad came in the kitchen and he was like, are you okay? And I was like, yeah, I'm fine. I'm just like, I feel really bad right now. It's just, it's such a, so being vegan was the best case study in dogma for me, mm-hmm. like of all, just because you, by default, you are drinking the hell out of the Kool-Aid. And oh, yeah. I'm reading books about, you know, like animal cruelty and the environment. You just like, you you just suck it all in so much to justify your choices. And then I can only speak for myself. 
you're kind of like poo-pooing on everyone else. You know, like you go to a restaurant yeah. with your friends, uh, but you call ahead and you're like, hey, can you do a vegan dish for me? And then you get mm-hmm. there and they're like, hey, what does everyone want to eat? And you're like, oh, I already got my meal on. Yeah, you know, yeah. I already got it figured out. Yeah. Like so fucking healthy. Yeah. And, I've uh, never met someone who's not passionate and who's also vegan. You know what I mean? Right. No, totally. It's like CrossFit. It's it's right. like yeah. or, right. or jujitsu. Or jujitsu. Jiu-jitsu. I'm yeah. sorry, but ours is better. Okay. Yeah, way better, way better. Yeah. <laughs> and more versatile. But yeah, yeah, you hit that point I think for a lot of people where it's like I m I started to just miss choice. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like, yeah, it's pretty limiting. Now. And yeah. what you said about um building strength is not that it can't be done but it's easier when you can eat something that's like this big and it has 40 grams of straight up protein in it yeah and then for me also like it was just kind of a like in my eating disorder i used veganism and vegetarianism a lot to be like oh i can't go here i can't eat this oh i don't know about that like so for me releasing that those kind of food rules was also like an added thing for like recovery um because then i couldn't be like oh i can't go to this restaurant i can't eat this blah 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 so for me there was another layer to of it layer to it um but now I'm kind of on the opposite side where I'm very animal-based. I'm very, like, grass-fed meat and butter yeah. and eggs and everything. And I feel really good. So I think there is something to having that's, a diet that works for your body. And for me, that just works better. I think that that's the most important part about diet is, one, do, like, blood work with a doctor and actually find mm-hmm. out what your blood – I get asked all the time by friends, former clients, stuff like that, you know, like, how should I eat? And I don't know. I'm like, I don't know. What is your I body? I don't know. What works for you? you? Need to, yeah, you need to know a couple baseline things. Like you need to get blood work done and find out what, what is your body even? Where is it even mm-hmm. at? And then from there, you can start to make adjustments and eat well for you. Because a ton of, let's say that I just adopt Amanda's diet. Because I'm like, damn, she's a high-class competitor. She's mm-hmm. eating this, this, and this. And I do it. And it caused my cholesterol to go through the roof. Like that's not right. ideal for me. I should know. Right what's doing what but you have to do what you're doing with an experiment you have to try these different things to see like what makes me feel like i can just like hit it every single day and not get fatigued and what makes me feel like i'm i like i'm walking into training just hitting the wall you know yeah i i think there's too much of course there is but there's too much online and and people just being like asking everyone, like asking the entire internet, going on Instagram, what diet should I do? What's this, what's this? Like you need to sit down with, obviously blood work is great, but you need to experiment with your body and just see what works, trial and error, A and B. Like it took me years to figure out the foods that actually made me feel good that yes. didn't hurt my digestion but if you're just following every instagram instagram guru guru can't speak yeah. and what they're doing it's never going to work because it's not and there's so to much you. of it there's, there's so, so much, much. Yeah. it's crazy and i was a nutrition major and like honestly i switched from it because what put me off was just the whole industry of nutrition in general it's just I really just think people need to get more in touch with themselves and with their bodies. I think I that's the basis of a lot of this stuff, whether it's mindset or diet. I think it's about stopping, like stop relying on everybody else's experience and figure out what your experience is. And I think that's really the most important thing. Well, and the other end, the other side of that, cause I agree with you. I think that you, you, we should all be putting a little bit more responsibility on ourselves mm-hmm. to solve it right and and by solve it i mean by actually trying things and sticking to 
aim for academia, don't aim for what's trending because right. you're not going to get you're going to get responses based on how p- influencers want to get likes and views. Right. That is the goal because it, that's the currency. If you have likes and views, you can leverage it for partnerships. Right. So I like they are going to act in a way that propels those two things. And the reality is telling someone that they should go figure it out on themselves is the worst way to have either yeah, of those metrics. You're not going to make money. You're not going to no. get popular by being like, I don't know, go figure it out. <laughs> right. But you, but we need to do that. And, and I mean, as much as we're like kind of trashing like veganism and veg- yeah, if ve- it works for you, it, but, but it, but it, the important part is it was part of you getting to where you're at. And so right. as much as it's easy to like demonize these things, me being vegan for a year taught me so much about Mm -hmm. what I actually want to do for my nutrition. So that I think is a perfect example of like why people should be invested in trying things and being okay with failing too. Like absolutely, you can make adjustments and you can fix it or change it going forward. Yeah. I've done so many different styles of diets. Like whether it's like, I think I even did whole 30 at one point because I read about it. Like, and I was like, wait, why am I like it's good to experiment, but why am I just following the advice of everyone else? And right. so, whatever, all of those things led me to actually find a diet that works for me, to where I can actually feel good and actually perform. Um, but there is still something to be said about working with a nutritionist if you're doing specific things like weight cuts. I would say that. I mean, definitely. That's that's it, a little different thing, but this. I mean, now that we've talked about nutrition, what is from your experience of having dealt with the eating disorder, recovered from that, competing at a high level, being in multiple sports too, and two very different sports, right? Like mm-hmm. powerlifting and then strongman and uh, jujitsu are completely different expressions oh, yeah. of body mechanics. So what do you find now for you works for you in terms of food? Oh, in terms of food? Yeah. So Like right now I'm doing kind of a long cut actually because I'm going to be doing ADCC trials and they just switched the weight classes. So it's the first time where I've had to actually, right? But it's good because now we have three. So God bless that. Um, But I, it's the first time in a while where I've had to slowly cut down a lot of body weight. Um, So what I've kind of figured out is like for me, nutrient dense and kind of animal based works really well for me. So I'm a big like... People hate on dairy. I love dairy, eggs, (laughs) high quality meat, seafood, um, fruit, not even that many vegetables. Like I'm pretty much kind of on that sphere of things, but it makes sense for me. Like I'm German. We come from dairy farmers. My whole family was like, that's what they were eating. So that's kind of what works for me. I do work with a nutritionist right now uh, just to kind of fine tune macros and stuff like that so that I don't have to think about it too much because coming from is this for the like more for, for the, the cut element yeah just for it? the yeah. cut but i'm still able to eat like how i like to eat yeah. um but like for me it's helpful to have a meal plan as far as macros because coming from the eating disorder background sometimes when i've cut weight in the past i go too hard and i get a little too rigid with it and i get a little bit too intense with it and i start getting a little bit fearful of eating enough and fueling myself so for me it helps <laughs> to have someone be like hey, you can actually still eat this much while you're cutting weight. Cutting weight doesn't mean you need to starve yourself and be suffering the entire time. And if anything, that's actually the wrong way to be doing it. Um, So for me, that's been helpful. So are you, um, 
how are you measuring your like your caloric expenditure? Do you use like a whoop band or anything like that so that you yeah. contrast that against what her prescription is? Yeah, so I I do use a whoop sometimes. I'm not as religious about it. I kind of more go from body feel a little mm. bit. So like I know because I've measured with my whoop like what a hard comp class is, what yep. like a cardio session is probably going to be. And we'll modulate based on that. Um, I do like a lot of those biometric kind of data things. I think sometimes I'm not convinced on the full accuracy of everything. Fair. And I don't totally want to be too obsessive with every training session to where it's taking me out of focusing on the things that I need to be focusing on, which is just like training and getting better in jiu-jitsu. Um, but I have used it as a tool in the past to at least get a baseline. I think it's the same thing with macros. You don't have to count macros forever because at some point you're going to learn kind of just how things are over that experience. Totally. Like, I can tell you what this meal is going to be approximately because I've tracked macros in the past. So it's not like I have to be super tedious for the rest of my life. I, I think that that's so well said. And it's something I, I've talked a lot with clients about too with um, like using a whoop or an aura ring to get an understanding. Because like mm -hmm. you said, uh, Data, it's not 100% accurate, but what it gives you is a, a reliable delta. Like if, if mm -hmm. Amanda wears it every day for seven days, you have a pretty good snapshot, especially if you're an athlete and you're super tight into your recovery and everything like that. You have a pretty good snapshot of, of where you're at. And then mm -hmm. from that, you go, okay, generally, I'm only sleeping six and a half hours. I'm going to try to bump that up to seven. And now you know you're going to get a payout from it. But it doesn't mean you have to wear the ring for the rest of your life right. or track every single calorie that you burn at every single training class because at your level, most classes are going to be the same. If you're super deconditioned and you only go to like one class or once in a while, that numbers could be all over the place. You don't know the structure of it, but when you're as regimented as you are, I think that those things become really valuable tools, but again, not mandatory for like the long haul. Right. Because I mean, some people get too, obsessed with everything but in the end the, at the end of the day like nothing you're doing is going to be that accurate even if right. you're counting out your macros and you're weighing things still. like it's not even going to be a hundred nothing's a hundred percent accurate so you still have to learn how to rely on your body and how you're feeling and you know all of those types of things and i think sometimes those tools get taken to a point where you kind of develop a disconnect with how you're actually feeling because you're literally just like looking at your phone like, oh, yeah. well, what did my whoop say? Like, I'm tired, but what did my whoop say? You know what I mean? Dude, okay, so this, the the strain metric, I have such like confliction with it because I think that it has good intentions if you are a high-performing athlete trying to regulate your recovery and, mm -hmm. and you're going... And, and you really don't know, right? Like sometimes if you're overtraining, it is hard to get a read on like what's going on. But yeah. what happens is so many people begin to let the whoop tell them how they feel instead of assessing how they feel and checking with the whoop to see if it, it's on point. Yeah. Like if you wake up and, and you're like, oh, I'm tired and you look at your whoop and it's like, you're ready to go. And you're like, uh, what? I've had that so many times. <laughs> and the other That's thing not is a like thing. Right. And it's like, hey, I can tell you when I'm overtrained because one, my emotions are going to be dysregulated, but my totally. whoop's not going to tell me that. Right? right. So like, I can't just rely on the fact that whoop said I had great sleep last night, even though I woke up feeling like shit. Like, right. I can't just rely on the app for that. So I have to be able to use my body. And like, that's part of being an athlete, right? Yeah. Is being in tune with your body. And if we're being completely honest, the, the measured metric is heart rate. All the other stuff right. you get with it 
is marketing. So you're getting a, your body doesn't have a strain. It has a heart rate. So mm -hmm. if you get a strain reading, that's whoops perception and marketable tool based on this thing that undulates and, and varies throughout the day. So mm -hmm. like if everything you do is just based on your heart rate and you're not taking into account fatigue in other areas, then like it's only useful to some degree, you know? Right. And I think it's especially difficult with jujitsu. I mean, like you can so factor in heart rate all you want, but you can't factor in like someone going really hard on a Kimura or putting a ton of pressure on you or all these different <laughs> things that are so variable every single class that your heart rate variation is not actually going to tell you. How are you, how are you strength training? This cut phase is interesting to me because mm -hmm. it's, uh, you know that you're decreasing your calories over time strategically, yeah. but how, do, how are you regulating your strength and conditioning and how does that change as you get closer to ADCC trials? Yeah. So the main thing was I like to lift heavy. I like my power lifter roots, right? Like I love, yeah, shout out power exactly, lifting right? Um, <laughs> man, I tried Olympic lifting for a while yeah. hard. <laughs> um, I, yeah, so I like cry when I look back at videos of where it's my strength crazy. was, but, but I remind myself, like, I like to train jujitsu. That's what yes. I care about now. And then I only cared about the bar, but yes. I like unracked, uh, just to do like front squats the other day. And I was like, holy shit. Mm -hmm. I used to just clean and jerk this. Like it was just like a, on a warm up set. Yeah. And I, I racked it and I just sat and had a, a Dude, sad moment for myself. 15 year old, 15 year old me deadlifted more than me now deadlifts. Like it's, it's okay. wild. It's um, okay. I know. I need like a support. It's all group. about application. <laughs> exactly. What, what can you use it for? But back, right. I, I digress. Yeah. So no. what is, what's your, your regiment now and how, yeah. how, how will that change going to ADCC? So of course, like I said, I like my heavy lifts. Um, as the cut starts to get more deeper into the cut i've definitely added a lot of cardio i've become a runner so that's something that i never thought i would do um <laughs> i like your alter when you when you talk about you talking about yourself your <laughs> other version is pretty cool Every, it's yeah. a really weird psychological thing that everyone does it's kind of like yes. how we, you have a dog voice you know mm -hmm. we talk to a dog it has a so stupid voice that we yes. never use anywhere else but i like the your other you, you that talks about you it's cool <laughs> Thank you. Yeah. Uh, um, yeah. So I started running though, but uh, yes. I started running. I feel bad definitely for you. still do. Listen, I actually when I first started it, I hated it until I realized that I should stop trying to run fast and I should just run for time. And mm -hmm. now I enjoy it. So it's actually been helpful. Um, now run with your mouth closed. I do. That's I only know. Oh, breathe. good. Okay. Cool. Oh, trying to come uh, at me with the elitist yeah, breath. No, I know. So, okay, good. just <laughs> one. I was testing. Yeah, watched... I was testing. Okay, we're I've good. gone down the rabbit holes on YouTube. Good. Trust me. Um, but yeah, so I I haven't been lifting quite as heavy, but I'm a firm believer in the basics and never letting go of all your basic movements. I'm always mm. gonna squat, bench, deadlift, pull up, and then You're obviously a true power add. Lifter. Seriously, like right to the basics. <laughs> obviously, I try to add a lot of uh, small muscle movements too, like. Mm -hmm after being in this sport a few years i've had wear and tear on certain joints certain injuries yep. so i'm always trying to do like mobility and recovery um so as the cut gets deeper it's just going to be more about increasing capacity as far as volume like lowering the weight higher reps um, adding some more cardio and things like that but still keeping all the compound movements that yep. i think are just important for overall strength i'm not a huge 
huge fan and advocate of like hyper specific sports training. Um, I do like, of course, like proprioceptive stuff and, and I think certain things are helpful, but I do think that just having a good baseline of your, your basic lifts also goes a far way. I think that this is so specificity is a really interesting topic in Mm -hmm. training, because if you look at, I think, especially with social media, specificity has become a little convoluted because if you do something that looks like the sport, right? Like, mm-hmm. let me use an example of uh, you're in my clothes guard and I grab your call on your sleeve, right? So we have this like retracted shoulder position with two grips. And if I were to go and I grab like, a, I set up two cables on a cable machine mm-hmm. and I cross them and I'm holding them like this and then I'm like, getting on my back, you know, you could shoot a video like that and put it online and be like top three exercises to retain your guard. Right. And you're like doing this. And then people that no harm, no foul, don't understand strength and conditioning or Mm -hmm. kind of are starting jujitsu. They go, Oh my God. Yeah. That's that's how they do it. I have to start doing pull-ups with my gi or I'm never going to get stronger. Mm -hmm. But the reality is the sport, is going to teach you those elements like yeah by doing the gripping you're gonna that's gonna build gripping in that position mm-hmm. but if you're not pulling hip hinging pressing pushing and then developing like a really strong posterior chain you, it it doesn't matter like you're those are not going to ever be able to be expressed to the degree that you could if you are strong at a baseline Absolutely. I mean, like you have to have a strong base in those like actual movements and you have to have those muscle groups be strong in order to actually be able to utilize them in the more kind of finessed ways that we do in jujitsu. Like it doesn't make sense to try to go in and recreate all of these hyper specific little tiny motions that occur in training because there's thousands of them anyway. Like I'm doing thousands of unique movement patterns that I'm never going to be able to recreate. So why not just get a really strong base in those muscle groups that are going to be utilized and then go to training and have them work how they need to work. I think when, when people are considering like the, the specificity part of it, what they should do to their training is like, get yourself into rotation, get yourself into planes that you don't usually use Mm -hmm. because you're going to be pushed into them. In right. right. So if, right. if you have a really strong deadlift, but laterally you're super weak and you're doing stand up, all someone has to do is change an angle on you and, and you, you are now in a plane that you don't typically build strength in, mm-hmm. but you can't get those planes strong if you don't have strong baseline movements to begin with, which are those exactly, like foundational yeah. compound movements that are tried and true. Yeah. And so I think like it, there also probably is different advice for like, if you're a hobbyist, like, I don't think you need to go in and start just doing hyper specific movements and trying right. to do those things. I think if you're at the highest level and like, like you're one of the top competitors yeah. in the world and you're working with someone and you want to work on some of those more unique movement patterns or whatever, of course that could be beneficial to you. But I think for the masses, like traditional strength training is always going to be very applicable in jujitsu. And I, from talking to like top physios that actually work with grapplers. Like I talked to Chris Weidman's uh, physical therapist and then mm-hmm. Colabate's physical therapist who helped him come back from his knee. These guys are like, strength is what helps reduce the risk of injury. It's yes. that first. That mm-hmm. first helps reduce the risk. It doesn't eliminate it because we're all doing sports and someone smaller than you could 
uh, tear your ACL. It just mm-hmm. can happen. Strength helps reduce the risk of injury. And then to your exact point, at the high level, specificity to areas of identified weakness are what allows that athlete to then perform more. So maybe a hobbyist doing like something really specific that you would find in your program wouldn't be the most beneficial for them. If that's going to give you an edge at ADCC trials against another world-class competitor, like you bet your ass you're going to do that. Right. Yeah, I totally agree. I think that obviously there's so many different trains of thought with this, but as you get to the higher and higher level, that's when you really start to analyze certain things and can add in other alternate types of training. Um, but totally agree that strength is never a weakness and the basics when you're starting out is, is really important. What do you do when you're not in this kind of window? Like if, if you are in your competition season, but you're not trying to get to a super specific weight class or it's not like ADCC trials or WNO, but it's like a, something maybe a little more local or regional, are you always on kind of like a baseline strength and conditioning program and eating? Or are you, or are you thinking about it this way too? with the nutritionist and with structured programming and yeah i mean when i'm like off season um i and like my natural diet is pretty conducive to being an athlete anyway like i just generally eat pretty healthy um i think everything's pretty much handled and i walk around at pretty much the same weight i'll i'll check in with my nutritionist and he'll be like hey what are you walking around at here um is everything feeling good and i'm like yeah um so i've kind of learned how to eat after a few cuts i know kind of the style of eating that I like. And then as far as working out, um, I modulate it based on training. Um, I'll be a little more chill with it. Like I'm always going to be lifting and I'm always going to be trying to increase aerobic capacity and getting better in all those ways, but I won't be as intense about it. Like if I have a heavy week at jujitsu, I'll probably lift less. Um, If I am not training quite as much, maybe I want to be in the gym and and put some heavier lifts up. Um, So I kind of just will modulate it like that. But I'm generally on... I haven't worked with a specific PT for my own programs. I usually just do my own programming because I enjoy it and I've been lifting for a while. Okay, you know what um, you're doing. Yeah, but I'm, I'm also interested in working with someone at some point too. I think it would be interesting to have a coach. It's really nice as an athlete um, to have someone kind of just setting everything up for you. Yeah. It's really nice. I realized that when I first got the nutritionist because I was so opposed to it. I was like, I know nutrition. Yeah. Like, obviously, I can do it myself. But just having it done for you is like it takes such a big thing out off your plate. And it's just like you can focus on what you need to focus on. Well, like you said, you, you, you said earlier, like at the high level, everyone's good, right? Right. But the difference between good and the best is the mental side of it. And if part of your bandwidth is being consumed by even doing things you like, like writing programs, but if it's being mm-hmm. consumed by that, that's energy that could spent visualizing. It could be uh, staying late and having a conversation with Galvao. It, you know, there's so many different yeah. things that like, it's a opportunity cost of what you're doing with your time. And yeah, and plus you always second guess yourself. Some, you know what I mean? Like straight up. if you're making it, you're like, okay, but is this the best thing for me right now? It just helps to have someone else like affirm what you think or affirm your programming for you um, as an athlete. Obviously too, we have other things we need to deal with. Like I'm in right. school, I got to deal with that. Like if I can minimize what I have to think about and I can just go in and train, that's when I feel my best. When you go to AC- ADCC, how do you how do you advance to the finals? Like what do you have to improve on between now and then in your jujitsu? So, so I made it to the semifinals last trials and I had a really, really close semifinals match. Um, was for that the me, match with Jasmine? Jasmine? Yes. 
And in like the 11th hour, she got that craziest Ezekiel, right? No. Is that the match oh, I'm that thinking that was WNO. Okay, sorry. I was thinking about it. No, yeah. That, so we fought at... That was wild. That was wild, yeah. That was a good match. I got a little bit, I got a little bit in my head with the w, first WNO thing, too. I think You I was mean a, just being a on the stage? Nervous. Yeah, I had yeah. never done WNO, and I, I was pretty nervous for that one. Um, good for you, though, because knowing that and being aware of that, gives the opportunity to totally adjust it in the future yeah so i think for me like the main thing i've been working on is mental because i i know in my heart that like i have the technique to beat anyone that i want to beat it's just when i go there i need to make sure that everything is fine-tuned in my mindset so i've actually really been working on like in the training room um the most recent thing i've been working on is being meaner as weird as that sounds Mm -hmm. like i tended to kind of have more of a letting people get guards back and not putting too much pressure and not going super hard because I don't want to be that person that's just going really hard. But I've really made a mental switch to just like when I go in there, like I'm visualizing like I'm going into a tournament. I'm really putting the pressure on. I'm using my strength. I'm going hard. Like, and so having that kind of like, that's how I train now. I feel like I'm going to come out with a lot more aggression and a lot more confidence in the moves that I'm doing. Because I think the main like falls that I've had competing have just been lack of confidence in my moves like i know i have the technique i just need to have the confidence behind them to just go for it do you think that like that person has always been inside of you but you've suppressed it like i've i always wonder why not if you're in a sport that's super physical right why not bring the killer out all the time but you see this a lot you see like uh uh, it's almost like a courtesy Mm -hmm. or like a, a humility but the humility spills into it, now it's working against you. Yeah, I think like for me, well, I'm like generally a very nice kind of polite person off the mat. Totally. Um, so it's hard for me to like feel like a bully. Like I don't want to feel like a bully. I'm this. And I don't. Yeah. I don't want to make anyone feel sad because like I remember like coming up and training and like feeling sad when I would get my ass beat. Like I would be upset, you know. Yeah. And so sometimes it's hard to like feel like you're going to do that to someone else. Like if, if right. I feel bad cause I'm, I'm an empath, like I don't want to do that to anyone. Um, so I've had to have a mindset switch to kind of detach like who I am off the mats with who I am on the mats. And now they have to be kind of two separate people. Well, they have to be two separate yeah. people because the problem with your position is if you're like that and the other person isn't again, there's like, now there's this huge discrepancy because it, it doesn't mean the other person's a bully, but if they bring in that mentality, and you're not matching it. It's like yeah. you're always battling that within the the match itself. Even and that happens at like the hobbyist level. I, I totally understand what you're saying because like I I I don't think of myself as like a, an asshole or if, if someone's mm-hmm. hurt, I want to like make sure they're okay, right? So right. even in the the moments, it's extreme. I find myself being extremely selective with when I choose to like fully like yeah. go. Like there's a few people that. I trust and they trust me and it's like, okay, we can go to war, but I don't reach for that, uh, inherently, but I'll see other people that that's just kind of like, like they step on the mat and they're just like that, like that Mm -hmm. with everyone. And I don't think it's like a good or a bad thing, but I've always, I've been like, ah, that I just wonder what it's like to always have that, like that kind of energy. Yeah. And what helped me kind of learn how to be like that was, the girls that I train with, like I train with a few girls who are just 
I used to consider them mean, but they just push it and they just train hard yeah. and they, they're practicing that mindset. And they would like, if I didn't match them, it didn't matter. They would, you know, they would still go hard. They would still try to beat me up. So I had to kind of take a step back and be like, okay, well, if that's how they're training and they're having this success and they're, I consider them really good. Why don't I kind of take a step back and try to emulate that and just like stop holding back on all of those positions because I just yeah it was really hard for me to let go and really go for it in the training room but I think it's probably the thing that I was missing was that ability to let go how how did that first happen like how do you go from going into jiu-jitsu someone whose mindset's being changed by the sport itself and you're starting to feel like competence change or you're like wow this is changing the way that I think about uh food or just like your whole person what's the jump from those changes to be like, I'm going to be a competitor and I'm not, I'm not just doing like JJWL tournaments. I'm, I'm going like hard and I'm going to go all the way to ADCC. I'm going to try to be like what literally try to be one of the best in the world. It's crazy. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's crazy. A lot I never different. thought I was, it's funny cause I literally could not even compete at first. Like I would have like breakdowns about doing a Naga. Like I, really? I hated it so much. Like I hated it. Um, but naturally, luckily I'm an extremely competitive person. So once I kind of realized I was like, oh, I'm kind of good at this. Um, once I started competing and I started winning a couple of tournaments, like as a white belt, I had a coach who was like, Hey, you're really good at this. Like you need to do this and you need to actually like put a lot of effort into this. Cause I think you can be really, really good. Like he told me this very early on yeah. and I kind of hung hung on to that and kind of just naturally being competitive was happy to get better and happy to start pushing it and, and start going on that path. And then once I made the move to autos and I was surrounded by people who were like world champions, I was yeah. like, Oh wait, I'm with them. I can do that. Like, that's right. what I want to do. Yeah. That's so sick. I, I, you started at 16 Yes. and you got your black belt when you were 21. One? Yes. Right. Yes, it's so cool. I, it's the one my one regret in in life, and I not even a big regret because things happen the way they are. Is that I didn't do this sooner? Like it just wasn't an option where I grew That's up. That's what everyone says. Too. Wasn't a martial art scene at all. You know, as a town in Colorado, skiing was like the thing, mm -hmm. and uh, it's just such a good fit, and it plays so well into like that exactly. What you said that desire to to improve, and when you couple that with a uh, someone who believes in you that mm -hmm. that combo is super special and it, it's as a athlete having that relationship with someone is is wild what it can do to you what it brings out of you that you didn't even know was in there because it was like it was all you pushing yourself mm -hmm. for so long you know and then someone comes along and they're like hey I'm seeing this from a different angle than you are. Yeah. I mean, it blew my mind. I was like, what do you mean? Like, I'm good at it? Like, was what do you it mean? Galvao I'm good at who it? originally started so, to push you there? My first coach, uh, his name was uh, Mike Wacker. I trained at a really small school in New York called Black Hole Jiu Jitsu. Yep. Um, really small school. And he was the first one who was like, hey, you're really good at this. I think you can be as good as you want to be at this. And that was the first time I'd ever heard that. And that, that was just crazy to me. Cause I was like, I was so, I had no self-confidence. Like I didn't think I was like good at anything. I didn't think any of those types of thoughts. So to hear that, I was like, 
oh, okay, so, like, I'll keep doing it then. Like, I'll try. And then once I got to Atos, I met a bunch of really close friends, and all of them had that same thing. Like, hey, you're really good. Like, we think you can be amazing. We, like, you know, we're all working as a team. You're surrounded by people who are, like, they have that mindset that, like, yes, I can be a champion. And they have that mindset with everyone else they're training with. So I started getting hyped up by all these friends and people I was meeting, and it kind of just led me to keep pushing it and pushing it and pushing it. I would have never, ever, ever competed if other people weren't pushing me. Like, I never would have done anything with it. I, the last tournament I did, it was the same thing. I, someone at our academy was, like, really giving me a hard time. Like, dude, you need to do this. You need, you know, and I, mm-hmm. I had competed for so many years as a skier and it, off and on in jiu-jitsu for fun, but it, it became unfun for me to mm-hmm. do that. And they had pushed me so hard. And I, I'm so glad that they did. I mean, it's such a good experience. And it never would have happened if it wasn't the push of a teammate. It's another one of those reasons why, like, the academy is a very special place. Because people, they're, they're people that, it, it sounds like in your case, are some of your best friends. But a lot of times it's not. It's it's people that you see, you know, a couple multiple times a week. But they they know you a little bit. Mm-hmm. Like, they, they do know. And they can push and pull parts out of you that it's a product of that type of environment. It's super special. Yeah. And the interesting thing is too, like once you start competing, like, you know, I have people who I've never met now who are like, Oh, like, yeah, I've been watching you for a long time. Like, it's really cool. Like my sister started training because of you, or like I started training because of you. And I'm like, wait, like, what are you even talking about? Like that, like that never even was a thought to me, but I think that there's such a great, a beautiful thing about, just documenting your experience and and pushing yourself and it leads other people to do the same thing and so that's really like the crazy thing about it i think that is one of the the few positives of social media is that you can be someone who's not around and and not just jujitsu but you can be someone who's not around something Mm -hmm. and you're exposed to someone who is and if that person like yourself happens to have a good message right and that connects like that's really powerful there's having people reach out to you and say that must mean the world like holy shit i'm just out here like grinding like getting my ass kicked every day and here's some girl in ohio who's like going to jujitsu after school right (laughs) but when i think about it like when i was starting i was also seeking that like totally when i saw my first like black belt female training i was like oh my god like you're such an inspiration like that's amazing and she's like who are you um no right right but uh but just seeing people's experience kind of makes you go, oh, should I try that? Maybe I can do that. And that alone is, I think, one of the benefits of social media and, and stuff like that. With uh, one last kind of big big thought here, but being a highly competitive no-gi competitor, but jiu-jitsu really originating in the gi mm-hmm. and receiving your black belt, like what, is, what does – what is – having received your black belt mean to you now that it's happened because that's such for people that start right they uh, many people start and they get attached to and i think it's totally fine the stripes and the belts and the advancement at some point that changes and it just kind of like you're just in it because you you know usually almost anyone who's like a purple belt or brown belt you don't care anymore you just love Mm -hmm. you're gonna come no matter what they could take all the belts away it doesn't matter i'm still gonna go uh but did that mean anything different to you? What was that moment like? Because the, the video is great. I mean, it's like, mm-hmm. it's heartfelt. It's emotional. You're very transparent and honest in, in the video itself. And I think there's some really good points there. But now being removed from that day, 
is there any significance to a different belt wrapped around your waist? Yeah, I mean, for me, I was never attached to the belt, especially because I honestly haven't even been training that long comparatively to a lot of people. Six years, right? Yeah, so I wasn't even thinking, like, it scared me when I knew I was going to get my black belt. But for me, it meant, like, it's just a huge challenge in front of me. It's a huge challenge of, like, okay, now you're really going to test how much you believe in yourself. You're really going to test, like, those goals that you've been thinking of, those dreams that you've had. You're really going to put it to the test and see where you can push yourself. So I knew I wanted to be the best, but when I'm hanging out at Brown Belt, you know, it's still this kind of, like, far-off kind of thought. I'm like, oh, little Brown Belt, you know, that stuff's way in the future. But now I'm there. So now every day I'm faced with, like, yeah, the competition I'm going to go to, it's not just going to be a bunch of brown belts. I can get champs in any single competition I do. So it's just, like, this added level of pressure that I really, really thrive on because any time I've ever made a huge, like, amount of progress in my life, it's been in a situation where I'm extremely uncomfortable and I'm almost borderline unsure if I can do it. And I have to push through that kind of point and prove to myself that I can. So getting your black belt is kind of a huge version of that. And I think it's a great mental kind of challenge. Like I'm excited because it's making me level up in all of these different ways that I kind of could just put to the side before. I think that it also represents like you've seen something through and there's a value there that I, I just think that's a good characteristic to have. It's nice when you say you're going to meet people for dinner that you show up. If someone asks you to do something, you say, yes, it's good that you just do that. Like, even if it's not what you want to do, you said you would. And when you sign up, you don't say that you're going to train all the way to black belt, but doing that is like, it's nothing about your it's so much about your character at that point, mm-hmm. I think, and a lot less about your skill because everyone's good at that point, you know? Right. I agree. I also think that as far as self-confidence, there's a huge, just like what you were saying, when you follow through with commitments to yourself, like I feel like that's really the way to develop self-love and self-confidence because you're setting these goals for yourself and every time you accomplish one of them, you're trusting yourself more that you're going to follow through with things. Right. So getting a black belt is like, hey, you followed through for years over and over and over and over to all of these commitments that you said you were going to follow through with. And it's hard to not gain a huge amount of self-confidence from that, as, as well as just characteristics as far as how you deal with other people, too. And all the time you're doing that, the door to leaves right there. Like right there. it's open, wide open. You can walk out yeah. anytime you want. No one's going to say otherwise, right? I mean, we had all the excuses in the world. We had COVID, you know, we yeah. had all of these excuses that you could say, oh, well, I don't have time for this. Like, I don't want to do this anymore. But you went every single day until that point, And it's a huge honor to be able to reach that point. Do you want to train or compete in gi at all still? Yeah, I, and I have up until... I still did in brown belt. I think the last one I did was Europeans last year. I think I got second or something like that. Um, I do want to compete in gi. I want to do gi worlds next year. I just really, really want to win trials. And after yeah. trials, I'm like, okay, I'll compete in the gi. But I, I know I want to win ADCC. So that's really, I'm really dead set on winning ADCC. I'm, I'm now I'm conflicted because you and Jasmine are just rad. I, mm-hmm. I had her on the show too, and it's going to be. It's going to be even more fun for me to watch the trials because uh, yeah. it's, it's two good people. Good but you're, practice. yeah, it's going to be. I mean, this this leading up to 2024, I think it's going to be a trip watching that event 
because watching mm-hmm. the 2022, I was like, dude, this is nuts. This event is so much bigger than itself right now. Like it's mm-hmm. crazy. I mean, it looked, it was so well produced. It was so well advertised. It was, it was streamed Amazing. well, like even yeah. little things that like, kind of don't really always line up with jujitsu. We're just like, ba bam, ba bam. Exactly. And I think it's the future. Totally. It is. It's going to be really, really sick. Okay. Super, super closing thought because I want to be respectful of your time. Okay. We went, we went to Germany, Berlin, uh, Munich, and then we went to Prague. Every single day I had a beer and ate just like whatever the hell I wanted, <laughs> like trucking sausages. We did like yeah. sauerkraut. We did everything every single day. Zero change in like body weight zero improvements in digestion yeah every sleep like i didn't i wasn't i i looked for training you know every city that we're in and it was just such a fiasco trying to make it happen so in addition to that 10 days also didn't strength train also didn't train jujitsu came back like lighter and better digestion and everything what what the fuck dude I don't know what's in our food. There's a lot of problems with the thing. American food this is source. A thing. No, but it's a it's a thing. I it's every time I've been to Europe, I come back, I've lost like an actual amount of weight, like five pounds or something crazy. And I'm eating a lot. I'm eating things that I wouldn't normally eat. I'm not working Pretzels. out as much. It doesn't even matter. I could eat whatever I wanted. I come back, I'm like, I'm skinnier. I don't understand what's going on. And then here I'm like all religious, trying to focus on like the Dude. best quality meat, but it doesn't matter. Something's in the system. Like, okay. I just wanted to make sure as a, it's as a German good. and like someone yeah. who thinks about food and someone who thinks about training and all this stuff that that's not like a fluke, but I, I was yeah. just like blown away. Have you, you've been to Germany, obviously. I have. Some. Yes. So rad. Amazing. Like, so did rad. you go to some of the castles? We went to, There's no, just we went like crazy Ber- castles everywhere. We went to Berlin and, and Munich and it was like, Berlin's just a crazy 10 out of city. 10, 10 out yeah. of 10. The food in Munich was like, just I un- can feel unreal. my ancestral roots just so happy to <laughs> bratwurst every day. I went, so I, I mean, I love like sauerkraut anyway, but I, we were mm-hmm. at this like beer garden and uh, we ordered it and I had never been served sauerkraut yet in Germany. And so she like put the sausage and the, the mustards and everything on a plate mm-hmm. and gave me that. And I was like, well, you know, kind of like, hey, I had ordered sauerkraut. And before I could say anything, she turned around and she just grabbed like rock tongs mm-hmm. sour, and gave me like a whole plate. And I was kind of like, whoa, that's a lot. <laughs> but then I ate it. I'm like, oh, my God, this is one. This is the best I've ever had ever yes. by far. And two, like fermented foods are incredibly good for you. So, so I, I you. swear that there was something with that. No, too. there has to be. I mean, you think of like people who eat like a lot of kimchi, like any yeah. culture that naturally has a large amount of fermented foods, like that's definitely for a reason. And yeah. what do we have for that? Like naturally. Like McDonald's? I don't like know. Kombucha? Like kombucha? Like yeah. $6 a bottle? I'm good. I yeah, would rather eat like work. plates of sauerkraut. Well, we'll close on the plates of sauerkraut <laughs> yeah. comment because, like I said, I have very important things to attend to. I have a board and brew sandwich that I need to eat. Amazing. Yes. And uh, Amanda, it's been awesome. Thank you so much for your time. So much that we got to talk about. I'm going to definitely be watching the ADCC trials. Gunning for you guys. And uh, we'll have to do this again in the future. Yes. Thank you so much. I had a great time talking. And it worked. It worked. How about that? No, I mean, no technical problems. I like, feel pretty good. Thank you. <laughs> All right. <laughs>